Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. My name is Elle Stanger. I am a certified sex educator and longtime sex worker and adult entertainer. I'm also a queer parent who feels pretty non-binary but looks kind of femme. And now that you know all about me, we're going to talk to Eric Cunningham today. Eric has a master's in chemical engineering and is the chief science officer for the nonprofit company Forgen. They're working towards the goal of regenerating foreskin for anyone who is unhappy with their circumcised status. Eric, you also have a BA in biomedical engineering. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, with the particular specialization in cell and tissue engineering. And a lot of the lab work I've done has been in um, uh, polymeric biomaterials and uh uh, the applications of those to tissue engineering. Okay. So welcome to the foreskin and male circumcision episode. We have a little language disclaimer that Eric was so kind to bring up. So in a lot of historical and medical text around penises, you will see the words like men and male. Um, obviously I am aware many of our listeners know that just because you have a penis, you can be any gender and in case that is often the case all around the world and through much of time in history and space. So we just ask that you be mindful if or when we use terms or the guest uses terms um, that maybe don't feel right for you. We're doing the best we can and language is tricky and limiting sometimes. So with that, I would like to ask Eric, what got you into this work you do of helping people to reconstruct their foreskin? So I got kind of interested in kind of just the topic of, you know, foreskin, circumcision, got about a little over 10 years ago because it was always kind of just an interesting thing. Like I remember sitting in, uh, I think going back even to middle school during our sex education classes. And, uh, in hindsight, I, I feel pretty, uh, fortunate that uh the sex education i had in school was actually pretty good compared to uh i think the education a lot of other other people got elsewhere in the united states um but one thing when we got to like the male anatomy was you know you'd see that cross section from the side you know the side perspective and we would talk about just about everything uh on that diagram but the foreskin was something that was always labeled but never mentioned ever and that was kind of what really kind of piqued my, you know, curiosity. And, um, and I start, once I kind of had, you know, uh, more consistent internet access, you know, I started kind of, you know, digging into it more for myself. I started learning about circumcision and then the kind of practice of foreskin restoration. Um, for those who don't know, it's a, um, practice where you basically subject the, uh, remnant shaft skin, uh, to a stress and over time that kind of induces the skin cells uh to uh undergo mitosis and divide in you know the direction of that stress so like growing growing yep. and stretching yep so it just kind of elongates that shaft skin it doesn't really replace the foreskin it kind of what it kind of does is it kind of uh, uh generates a structure that mimics it Fascinating. Um, so it's like yeah. i have big holes in my ears like i stretched my ears mm -hmm. like a lot of people did so i feel like I've been saying this for years, like skin can stretch, obviously, yep. like don't touch yourself. It'll stay that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's the same. Yeah. Same pr uh, principle. Uh, there's kind of, uh, uh, I'll say tissue expanding, uh, 
uh, practices, uh, cultural ones all over the world. Uh, so it's, a, and then in medicine over maybe the last like 50 years, it's become a specific, specifically tissue expansion because it doesn't just work for skin. You can do with just, I think about any soft tissue. Uh, there is an expand, uh, a tissue expansion of, of bone tissue, but that's a little bit different. Um, it doesn't quite work on the same principle. Uh, but it's really, uh, useful in cases of uh, uh, those who have burns and it tends to mm. have a, uh, a, a much higher uh, cosmetic appearance uh, and functional appearance or uh, uh, as opposed to like doing skin grafts. The downside is it takes a lot more time mm-hmm. um, and you kind of, especially with somebody who's got severe burns, you kind of have to weigh that against, you know, uh, uh, the utility of skin grafts, skin mm-hmm. grafting. So just for everybody who's wondering, how common is circumcision around the world? So circumcision, uh, I'll say today, um, is actually very uncommon. It's really only practiced uh, in various places in Africa, the Middle East, uh, and Southeast Asia, and the United States. Uh, Yeah, I'm looking. This is interesting. I have mm -hmm. a little International Society for Sexual Medicine. It says in here what you just said, but it -hmm. says in Australia and North America, circumcision rates fall between 20% and 80%. So all over the goddamn place. Yeah. So it kind of depends on really, so it, like in the United States, it really kind of depends on where you're at. So like the, uh, the Midwest tends to have the highest rates of circumcision. Hmm. If you go out to the West coast, like specifically like California, it's a lot lower out there. Dang hippies. Uh, Good for them. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, so it, it really does vary, but I, the, I believe the kind of, it, it kind of fluctuates a little bit depending on what source you're looking at, but I believe it's about 90% of the world's, uh, men are intact penises are intact wow okay so yeah i see also on this uh, issm.info page in most of asia europe central america and south america circumcision is less common with prevalence rates below 20 percent oh and one thing i should kind of uh uh, kind of uh, asterisk uh uh, with asia and specific uh and we can kind of get into this a little bit later when we kind of get into uh, more details on the history but uh it's been decreasing quite a bit more recently but since the 1950s circumcision in south korea has uh been exceedingly high on the same level as uh we see in the united states but if you contrast that with their neighbors to the north uh north korea circumcision is or effectively uh, non-existent. I believe like the rate is like 0.1%. Wow, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that 0.1% might have been due to like a complication or something. Right. Yeah. We'll it's talk incredible. about later. Like I said, almost non-existent in North wow. Korea as opposed to South Korea. Fascinating. So I'm looking at this study, um, the history of circumcision in the United States, a physician's perspective. I'll just read through real quick a little for the audience. I didn't know this, but For most of its existence, the U.S., with its overwhelmingly Protestant population of Northern European descent, has had no tradition or history of circumcision. So this makes me think of like the evangelicals in the Midwest that are doing it the most right now. Like, did you folks know this is new? Mm -hmm. Medicalized circumcision did not appear until the latter part of the 19th century Mm -hmm. when some members of the American medical establishment began to believe that circumcision could cure such wide-ranging real and fictitious diseases as general insanity, masturbation, epilepsy, Mm -hmm. paralysis, hernia, hip joint disease, tuberculosis, cancer, venereal disease, and headache, just to name a few. 
The belief in circumcision as a panacea continues to this day. Fascinating. So there's like a pathologizing of foreskin there. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's actually something that I would love to get into more because it's really kind of been something that's been swept under the rug uh, in contemporary America. Um, and But actually, before I kind of get into that, I want to talk more uh, of the origins of circumcision, kind of how it's been treated uh, please, in antiquity. Please, please. So, uh, th- and this is going to be coming from uh, one of the pioneers of that medicalization of circumcision, uh, Peter Remondino. He's, uh, yeah, I, I will consider him one of like really the pioneers of the practice. He wrote this book. Uh, I'm blanking on the the full title of it. Uh, it's one of those old like Victorian era medical books where they've got like this just extravagantly long name. <laughs> so okay, you dug so, up the title. Yes. So he t- uh, published this book in 1891 called History of Circumcision from the Earliest Times to the Present, Moral and Physical Reasons for Its Performance with a History of... Yeah, I don't know if I can ever wow. say this. Unicism, hermaphroditism, etc., and of the different operations practiced upon the prepuce. Wow. So, that is horribly long title. Thank you for finding that. Yeah, there are a lot of books from that same time period and even before that have like those same very, very long uh, titles. Anyhow, uh, I believe it's the second title or second chapter in the book. He kind of talks about the uh, kind of or- originations of the practice. And he uh, full, out, full out admits. The practice likely uh, uh, started as a uh, alternative to uh, panectomies and cast, uh, uh, castration. castration. Oh my god! So back castration during... is removing testicles, right? So uh, back in the the old old days, like in antiquity, before re- recorded history, uh, when you. Uh, uh, Somebody would, you know, during war, uh, those who were defeated and killed, one of the practices was to remove parts of their body as a trophy. And so it'd be like fingers or scalps or what have you. Uh, but one thing that kind of stuck out was the, the, the penis. They would remove the penis because uh, the thinking goes that, you know, you could derive, you know, a finger or scalp or these other, other body parts from, you know, a, a non-combative woman or child or what have you. But if you uh, have, you know, a full grown adult penis, you know, you that's a lot more. Dick. You obviously fought for it, a dick. Um, it's got, yeah, it's got a lot more, you know, uh, value. And, it, and the other part is it's so that like that was your trophy. Uh, but you know, over time they kind of realize, oh wait, there's more utility. And instead of killing these, you know, who, who, you know, the people we just defeated, uh, there's more utility in enslaving them. Mm -hmm. So labor, but exactly. So, uh, but they needed to be marked as a slave. So what they would do is they would remove the penis and, you know, or the genitals as a whole, the penis Uh. and the testicles, uh, you know, one go and that, you know, that was supposed to humiliate and emasculate, you know, the defeated uh, opponent. And that was, you know, going to be the mark of the slave. But they kind of realized. Um, it also prevents you, them from repopulating. Yeah. Reproducing. But, go ahead. Mm-hmm. But they realized that uh, when you do that, th- there tends to be a problem of dying from hemorrhage. From yeah. Blood loss, oh, God. Uh, when you do that. So. What kind of became or came from that was uh, the idea of circumcision, where it's still sufficiently, you know, humiliating and emasculating, uh, wow. but you don't run the same risk of dying of blood loss. Wow. Uh, 
and uh after that it kind of got uh pulled into i know that judaism kind of this uh as you know like uh, as part of the covenant to god and all that and it became uh, became you know religious practice uh even though it's kind of in practice all over the world because they have uh, records of uh uh the ancient egyptians from like fifteen thousand years ago practicing it uh some of the mummies they've kind of dug up have been found to be circumcised oh wow mm-hmm. and uh so it, it's it hasn't always had been specifically religious it, it has had a you know a cultural aspect to it uh and if you kind of move on through, through history and you kind of get to say like the ancient greeks um the ancient greeks and the romans actually ended up placing a really high value on the human foreskin there uh in one of their medical texts let's see if i can find it really quick uh, i believe it's a greek medical text uh and the uh physician uh gallus basically uh really shows just how um valuable the foreskin was considered let's see if I can find that's it. so weird while you're looking for it i'll read some feedback responses mm-hmm. I asked my social media following this. Uh, this was on Instagram at stripper writer. I said, how do you feel about foreskin yours or someone else's love it? I don't have one, but I like it on a lot of other people. In fact, I prefer it. I don't mind it. <laughs> love it. Sometimes feel guilty for having a preference on something men or people have no control over. It is so much more common to have a foreskin in the UK. Do foreskins exist? I've never seen one. I think circumcision is a cruel thing to do to babies. I wouldn't trade my foreskin for anything. How's that book search? Got it. So, so excuse me, uh, not Gallus, another Galen? physician called Galen. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. So from uh, in one little... Uh, he singles it out as being one of the most brilliantly useful adornments of the body. So the quote goes, wow. Nature out of her abundance... Ornaments all of the members, especially in man. In many parts, there is manifest ornamentation, though at times this is obscured by the brilliance of their usefulness. The ears show obvious ornamentation, and so, I suppose, does the skin of the prepuce at the end of the penis and the flesh of the buttocks. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Poetry I, I, in motion. Yes. Uh, I, I really do love reading even some of these like Victorian era medical uh uh, uh, uh-huh. articles uh, there's something about just the way people used to write back then so flowery yeah it's i know i i, I really uh, really admire the the writing skills people used to have oh man lol i feel yes. you <laughs> uh, i like that you mentioned galen because in a mm-hmm. previous episode our masturbation education episode uh author vic Liu reference galen because apparently that guy also believed in masturbation as Mm -hmm. a health like remedy or um to help aid uh in a soothing insanity in women (laughs) there was some god that's so interesting fair amount of misogyny but yes yeah that's so fascinating because that is like the exact opposite of what you see in the victorian era i know I know. Uh, pick and choose. Pick and choose, my people. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so the Greeks and Romans they they put like a really high value on the on the, the foreskin, uh, and, and a lot of cultural stuff kind of comes out of this. Uh, so I know, like I think it was Alexander the Great is my uh, was the one who kind of started this kind of movement to kind of like uh, really kind of end a lot of these uh, genital cutting practices that kind of started to pop up in the Mediterranean. Interesting. And 
And uh, you kind of see that through some of the uh, laws that were actually passed during the time. Uh, uh, Emperor, um, uh, Roman Emperor Hadrian, he, he passed a, a law banning the practice. Uh, and Why? I believe some of his six, uh, because they, they, it was actually viewed as a mutilation oh, uh, wow. to the Romans. Oh, that's right. Or, and they, the Greeks. Right. Cause they love the foreskin. Yeah. But okay. not just that, but also there's kind of this like aesthetic uh, appeal to the natural or the, or the human form and it's, you know, oh. or the human body in its natural form. Okay. Uh, the Greeks and Romans kind of had a, a, an admiration for that. So they would not like tattoos. <laughs> yeah, that's that, I, I don't know actually i i don't know either that is a good I, one I have to, not, not that i'm curious. aware of okay yeah. but uh yeah so like just body modifications like that like they really just they they found kind of repugnant uh Ooh. and so they uh like i said they wholesale banned uh circumcision there was another uh uh, uh i'll say governmental official not in rome he was uh, part of one of these other hellenistic societies where he banned the practice in any how to go is any mother who circum ritually circumcised her child was to be sentenced to either be flogged stoned or executed wow so it was it was treated very uh seriously hey uh, my so, body my choice <laughs> right uh and then some of the uh some of the, uh, hadrian's uh successors kind of relaxed the law a little bit where uh the jews living under uh the roman emperor or empire could uh practice circumcision they could circumcise their children but they couldn't circumcise their slaves okay. uh so it, they kind of relaxed a little bit and one thing there is to note uh uh there was a lot of anti-semitism in greek and roman societies jews really were considered second-class citizens in a lot of ways mm -hmm. uh and actually oh that kind of i can transition to actually some of the uh the uh, original practice of circumcision uh and how that kind of relates to uh the Greece yeah. and Romans foreskin restoration. Oh, please do. So, so funny enough, a lot of the uh, uh, foreskin restoration practices kind of originated by the Jews um, in uh, Greek and Roman societies. Really? So, yeah, uh, athletics were in Greece anyway were practiced nude, um, except uh, men tended to have to tie their foreskin up uh, with this uh, device. I'm, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Kind of desme. Mm -hmm. um, if you're able to see old old greek art you'll usually see uh men if if they're like like practicing sports they've got uh their forcing kind of tied up by this thing around their waist uh the idea behind that is even though they put like high value on the foreskin they still consider the glands to be uh very vulgar and you couldn't show it in public hmm. uh so this was kind of to prevent the foreskin from rolling back uh mm -hmm. And uh, when Jews would participate, they had to, they used this particular device, uh, the Count Esme, to pull this, uh, the skin forward. So, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, the very, very, very first uh, version of circumcision was actually not the same one we have today, where it's the a complete ablation of the foreskin. Mm -hmm. It was really was just taking off the very, very tip. Huh. It, was, it was a lot more conservative. Uh, and a lot of the Jews that would go to Greece to compete, they, uh, uh, kind of engaged in these restoration practices where they would kind of stretch the skin out. Um, so that they uh, could compete, like compete and not right. have, wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of the, uh, Hebrew elders, I 
blanking on his name did not you know did not like that because the the hebrews were kind of supposed to be separate from the, yeah supposed to be different from the greeks <laughs> right a lot of this other uh, so racism uh, stuff right so that, that's kind of yeah and so the, the foreskin uh their circumcision kind of did transition into like a complete ablation of the foreskin uh but a lot of these restoration practices did kind of continue a lot of jews did uh engage in them uh you know privately because they were considered like second class citizens in Rome and Greece and uh really the only way to move up societally was to either uh uh compete in sports and athletics where mm-hmm. you had to be nude mm-hmm. or uh you had to go to social you know social events which were almost always at like the bathhouses where everybody's nude again mm-hmm. uh so that's where uh, kind of the, some of these uh, tech, uh, techniques kind of got their start uh, uh, wow. really from the Jews kind of trying to move up, you know, in, in uh, Greco-Roman society. Wow. Fascinating. So what I'm hearing is that there are so many different reasons why people have been altering genital yes. areas all around the world for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I like briefly learned a little on oceanality and different African sexualities where it's like a coming of age to either like stretch or cut. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different ways to have conversations about consent and cultural stuff. Cause I personally didn't even pierce my kid's ears Mm -hmm. without her consent. And she's still, she's like, no, that sounds painful. I don't want it. You know? So what we do to our kids and what we see is growing is just so vastly different all over the world. Oh, definitely, and uh, and even and even for kind of you get past like the Greco-Roman stuff, like I said, the the legislation that got relaxed was to allow it to be done to uh, uh, Jewish children. Um, but like I said, e- even slaves had the protection of like the Roman law from you know being circumcised. Wow. Uh, yeah. So like I said, it's it was it was the conception of it was very different. And if you kind of go through a history, uh, a lot I'll say the more interesting stuff kind of drops off historically speaking at the end of uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, but you do find some really interesting uh, kind of uh, texts that kind of come out over the next like two thousand years. So one thing I found really fascinating was uh, under the Yuan Dynasty, uh, uh. Kublai Khan in I think it was 1280 actually passed legislation banning circumcision. Hmm. Uh the the story behind it is kind of hilarious um because it was not uh, out of that same you know humanitarian reason that you know the Greeks and Romans uh uh or was their motivation it was uh the story goes that these uh Muslim uh merchants were traveling to uh china and they were going to you know visit kubla khan and give him these gifts and it was going to be this huge banquet and it was gonna be this great event and uh they got there and they didn't eat any of the meat that had been prepared for this uh, banquet because it wasn't halal and Mm. kubla khan took like a huge offense to that and decided to pass you know this law saying that jews and muslims under the yuan dynasty couldn't circumcise uh your kids or, or, or excuse me, practice circumcision at all. And then also couldn't, uh, ritually slaughter, uh, animals. What? Uh, it, it was like, I said, it really wasn't a, it was really just cause he was just pissed off. What a weirdo. <laughs> oh my well, God. It, it, it ended up backfiring because, uh, 
what ended up happening was a lot of the Muslim merchants ended up just leaving the Yuan dynasty and it crippled their economy. Uh, <laughs> um, you see you later. So, so, uh, That's but funny. some of the other, yeah. So, uh, like I said, there's instances elsewhere, uh, where, you know, it's been outlawed throughout history. Uh, and then, hmm. but there are some other, uh, really interesting, his, uh, theological documents. So this one, uh, he's kind of known as, uh, being one of the more important uh, Jewish philosophers of uh, kind of, you know, post antiquity. Uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Moses uh, Maimonides, I think is how you say it. Uh, oh, man. I wish I he knew. lived, he lived in like the, 18, or excuse me, the 1100s. And he, uh, he uh, wrote this book called the guide of the perplexed. Uh, and there are several instances in instances in it where he kind of justifies the, you know, the theological reason for circumcision, uh, which is effectively that it is meant to cripple uh, sexual function. It's still or, or uh, the pleasurable aspects of it. You can still reproduce, but it's not uh, you know, going to be particularly enjoyable. Uh, he's like I say he's very very explicit about that uh hmm. and you uh you, uh you kind of go a couple a couple hundred years later into about the 1700s and i believe it was 1723 uh another book with a a certainly long title uh came out called uh see Onania, or the heinous sin of self-pollution and all its frightful consequences in both sexes considered. Oh my gosh. With with the spiritual and physical advice to those who have already injured themselves by this abominable practice. So uh, it's a, a really interesting book, partially because apparently nobody really knows who wrote it. Um, what? It, it just kind of appeared in, in Britain and then got popular and then uh, got imported over to the uh, United States or pre-United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really was kind of the first uh, work that uh, kind of says that amongst there being uh, like spiritual consequences to masturbation, how it's, you know, it's defiling the soul and it's a sin and in the eyes of God and all that. It's kind of the first one to really kind of say there's also like a corp- uh, corporeal aspect that there are physical consequences as well to doing it. And it really kind of didn't really stay obscure, but it really didn't kind of take off until about uh, or this idea that it kind of presented until probably about like 50 years later, um, this Swiss physician called Samuel Tissot uh, published a book kind of like uh, kind of expanding on that idea. And he kind of uh, presents this kind of uh, this uh, uh, conception of, of disease uh that kind of mirrors the the humorisms of the, of the Greeks that you know disease is caused by you know if your humors are out of balance mm-hmm. a wandering uh, womb right and <laughs> he kind of says some some of the effect of that like semen is a is, is like an essential oil and <laughs> and like uh the excessive spilling it you know causes you know all oh. these afflictions uh one in uh, there, one one example he lists which is absolutely hilarious is uh this 
uh, one patient under his care who was like a chronic masturbator. Uh, he kind of says like, uh, it's been a while since I read it, but he was like his, his brain had dried up and oh, you could hear it rattling inside of his skull. And, uh, like it's it's oh almost comical. That um, sounds so much like the fear mongering of mm-hmm. the last 150 years around masturbation. Right. Oh my gosh. And let's wow. Well, we need yeah. to take let's take a break. Okay. And let's come back and do some listener questions. Ioba Toys is the creator of the super silent sex toys, the Oh My G and the Oh My C. The Oh My G is a G spot massager with three intensity levels, a massaging pearl and a unique C-shape made to precisely hit the G-spot. The Oh My C is a clitoral massager with a rotating massaging pearl that mimics a tongue or fingers, also known as oral sex, and it fits in the palm of your hand. Both toys are super silent and come in pink or white. Try code L30 for 30% off on iobatoys.com. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Book a session now to take your intimate life to the next level. Listeners of this podcast receive 20% off their first session with code TTS. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net. Or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. My name is Elle Stanger. Write to us, They Talk Sex Podcast at protonmail.com. Find me online, lstanger.com or stripperwriter.com. My guest is Eric Cunningham. Eric works for a company called Foragin. Uh, we are talking about people who can work to regenerate. Well, we're talking about history. He's talking about history of foreskin, <laughs> but he works towards helping people regenerate the foreskin um, if they're unhappy with their circumcised status. So you had another thought. We were talking about mm-hmm. all kinds of historical stuff. Go ahead. There's there's a few other uh, uh, figures that kind of did like, writing that kind of pioneered a lot of the the medical thought uh, that masturbation in particular causes all these you know afflictions. And from about uh, the first half of the 1800s, a lot of the, the therapies that were employed were a lot of like uh, chastity devices that, that either that made it like impossible to masturbate or made it painful. There's all sorts of uh, uh, images of these things. They're very like medieval, lots of mm-hmm. spikes and uh, uh, and right around the about the 1850s, they kind of started to think or public belief was that these these were kind of barbaric obviously um Mm -hmm. and they started to see that maybe quick easy surgical solutions uh would be uh more merciful because it'd be and a lot of this was uh kind of started as a a lack of regulation uh in the in the medical community and not just in america but this is also in basically uh, a lot of the english-speaking world so britain australia Hmm. uh and so a lot of these, you know, genital cutting and other kind of uh, procedures similar to it. So you, you, there's tons of literature on uh, neurectomies where they're removing nerves from uh, the body mm. to kind of, you know, make it more pleasurable uh, or to excite that, that ejaculatory function or uh, 
then there's circumcision, but then there's also, you see castration. There's like uh, uh, removal of the uh, seminal ducts. There's all sorts of these. Uh, yeah, there's, there's all of sorts the of seminal stuff. Ducts. Why would yes. you remove the seminal ducts? So you're not making I, any semen? Yeah. So you wouldn't be, you know, excessively spilling it to, <laughs> oh my God. um, yeah. So there's, there's all sorts of stuff, but then some of the reasons that kind of, kind of went along with these was about the same time period, you started seeing more acceptance of the, uh, germ theory of disease. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a lot of the, the wind in the sails of, of masturbation causes all these, you know, diseases mm-hmm. and afflictions kind of started to kind of, uh, uh slow down. Uh, so this is when you start seeing a lot of these more, uh, 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 studies and doctors trying, uh, these kind of mutilations to prevent or treat, uh, uh, things that we consider modern day pathologies. Uh, right. but, but they, it was used, there was a huge wide brushes painted with, with a lot of this. So, and one thing I wanted, want to really kind of, uh, note is, something that does get left out of this topic was these things were not just applied to boys. These things were also applied to girls. Oh, God. so circumcision of girls was quite routine in the United States. Where and until when? Until I have um, the latest papers I have on specifically the circumcision of girls uh, goes yeah. or females um the two latest ones i've got are 1958 and 1959 okay so what were they cutting were they cutting like the clitoral hood i know there's varying different ways mm-hmm. you can mess with someone's parts down there right uh you see uh, much like how uh kind of they did anything and everything to to boys there's also same thing to, to girls. Uh, uh, the, so like there a was range. A, yes. Ugh. There was a, um, uh, the practice really didn't kind of, uh, didn't kick off in the, in the United Kingdom the same way it did in, in America. Uh, there was this guy named, uh, Isaac Baker Brown wrote this book called on the curability of certain forms of insanity, epilepsy, catalepsy, catalepsy, excuse me, and hysteria in females. Uh, that came out in 1866 and he actually got like a ton of backlash from the British medical community, oh, good. uh, where he talks about, uh, performing clitorectomies, uh, uh, uh was it over, overectomy? Am I, oh God. Like, so that's removal that? of the external part the, of the clitoris mm-hmm. and then maybe removal of the ovaries. Ovaries. I yeah. imagine people um, died from some of these procedures 150 years ago. Oh, quite likely. Okay, so we have to go into listener questions. Uh, All right, so first one, listener question one. Are there modern options for removing part of the foreskin, but not all? My first question is why do you want that? (laughs) Um, That was kind of my thought too. Um, Like I... Maybe it dangles off the tip more than they like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like there are, there are obviously, you know, all sorts of motivations for, you know, one to cosmetically alter their body. Mm-hmm. I do know there are, um, there, there's like a variety of, uh, kind of procedures like, a, a, I think a phrenectomy where it's like the removal of the frenulum. Um, that's, that like is a thing. Wait, what? Um, but the frenulum is like the top under part of the head, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's like a a 
well, it, it serves all sorts of oh, functions. Oh, yeah. Um, a frenulum is a small but, fold of tissue that secures mm-hmm. the motion of a mobile organ in the body. So the frenulum is like, looks like a little seam on the under part of the penis, right? At, up at the top of yeah. the tip. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's like fr- frenulums all over the body. like uh, Your tongue. The thing that kind of like anchors your tongue. Yeah. yeah exactly. Lift up your tongue, people. Uh, Look on the bottom of your tongue. That's yeah. I'll compare that to some hard penises you've seen. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, and like, as far as like the penis goes, it's like a, a, a tethering structure. Oh, it, wow. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Um, but it, it is also like one of those like densely innervated parts of, of the penis. Okay. Uh, so the answer is so, yes, there's options. So wait, there's modern yeah. options. Yeah. That, that is something that is performed. I, I can't speak to, uh, the advantages of doing it, but I, I do know it is, it is something that is performed. Okay. Then let's skip ahead to listener question. <laughs> I had it marked as three, but is circumcision the best option for Phimosis. Oh, phimosis. Phimosis. Can you explain what so, phimosis is? Okay. So phimosis, um, so there's two ways to kind of look at this. Uh, the condition that is uh, typically identified today as phimosis is, so it, it's a Greek word, and it has been used in medical literature dating back to, I think, Galen. Um, <laughs> he actually wrote about it. Uh, but uh, in the pathological phimosis that the greeks identified and that the word phimosis applies to like i said is very rarely the same as what what is identified today it, uh, typically today it's really just kind of considered any sort of foreskin that uh is unretractable okay. um and that can be due to uh it's still somewhat adhered to the glands or the uh uh ridge band the kind of it's like a ring of smooth muscle mm-hmm. that kind of uh keeps keeps the foreskin forward uh is is really tight and needs to be be, you know like stretched out Mm -hmm. um that's really kind of what is identified today as phimosis but as the greeks kind of identified it back you know two thousand years ago it it was really actually like an inflammation okay it was very different okay uh and as far as is circumcision the best option for it i'm gonna just flat out say no so for couple reasons one is going back to the greeks and romans they had uh conservative therapies back then for phimosis Mm uh uh both uh galen and uh uh, the roman uh medical encyclopedist uh alus uh celsus uh who i think actually lived before galen uh both wrote in their own books uh, methods for treating it Mm. um I'm looking at uh, a resource you listed. We'll get to it later. Mm-hmm. Um, it says that in one case of these people with true phimosis, which occurs less than in less than two percent of intact males, mm-hmm. um, of these two percent, eighty-five to ninety-five percent of these people will respond to topical steroids. Yes. Of those who fail this, at least 75 will respond to stretching under local anesthesia, either manually or with a balloon, which mm-hmm. I don't understand, but we don't have time to get into. <laughs> so it says at the very most, seven in 10,000 may need mm-hmm. surgery for stenosis. It's, yeah. So, yes, typically the uh, uh, treatments that are employed outside of the United States, uh, and if we want, we can kind of get into where this ignorance kind of comes from. Oh, I wish uh, we had more time. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we come back a different day. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to do a lot of episodes about all kinds of things, so we'd love to have you okay. back. Okay, cool. Cool. So, uh, uh, yeah, so like uh, the rest of the world, it's usually topical steroids or stretching or some combination of the two. Okay. That really is the best. Uh, circumcision is an amputation. 
and no other body part is kind of you know uh thrown to the side treated you know, that way consideration yeah. treat that way yeah. yeah amputation of anything else is not yeah it's usually there's a lot of consideration goes into it yeah so the other question here's listener question two originally what are the recovery rate options for an adult i think they mean like expectations for an adult with a penis getting circumcised okay yeah i was a little confused by that one um as far as expectations go um i'm not i'll say 100 or 100 familiar with a lot of that uh especially for adults yeah i guess that's not your area of expertise um, you're not really yeah i'm usually circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> um from what i understand it tends to be um you know, the tissues removed. I mean, there's a couple different way, methods and devices that are employed. Uh, but usually it's, you know, it's sore for a while, no sex for, you know, six weeks, mm-hmm. what have you. And as far as, I guess, recovering, it's, that's, it's pretty straightforward, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do that, uh, like I said, removal of the foreskin, you do have to consider everything that's being lost. Like any kind of nerve sensation or nerves and then the, that you have, yeah. Sexually. Then the mechan, yeah, and the mechanical function that goes along with it, because like the foreskin serves as kind of uh, 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 has an intermissive function, so it kind of aids uh, penetration. And then during intercourse, uh, uh, when the uh, penis is you know thrusting in and out, the foreskin really acts almost as kind of like a, a lubricant all on its own. Ooh. Yeah, sleep. Yeah. Um, and that also just kind of do the way it's it's uh, shaped. Uh, it helps to kind of hold in like lubricate, lubricate, lubricative. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, <laughs> fluids, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does have a, a value uh, uh, to that end to uh, female partners as well. Yeah, I wish I had more experience. I'm an American, mm-hmm. and I just haven't. I'm American. I'm from Southern California. Mm-hmm. I live in Oregon. I should have had more exposure to uncut dicks at this mm-hmm. point, but I just <laughs> haven't. And uh, then also, I do have a lot of. Um, if I do have condom sex, then that takes foreskin out of the mm-hmm. equation a little bit. Um, I have read lots. What I want to say, what I'm trying to say, is I have heard so much great feedback from female partners who are like, "Oh, I love mm-hmm. it." sex feels so much better mm-hmm. yeah one thing i one thing i uh I, god i wish i remember who pointed this out something i saw years ago was about kind of like the phenomena of like ribbed condoms mm. a lot of a lot ah. of what that is actually kind of emulating is the ridge band oh. that exists in the uh in the forest. i love that that's the american way cut it off yeah and then make a, <laughs> a polyurethane latex fake substitute Con- yeah consumption production consumption all that Oh, that's so funny. Okay, so the next question is, are there any benefits to circumcision? So any benefits that one would derive from it would, in my opinion, be really more like personal. And because as far as like medical benefits, health benefits, the evidence that that exists is not convincing. Um, That, you know, cutting off a natural part, a natural healthy part of the body you'd be able to derive, you know, medical benefits. Like I said, it doesn't apply to any other part of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you kind of extend this logic that's used, like, oh, you know, oh, it can help prevent cancer. If you remove any part of the body, yeah, you won't have cancer of that. And if we were to, you know, extend that same logic that, oh, I'm, I circumcised my child to, you know, because uh, they're at a reduced rate of, of, of cancer, then by that same same exact 
uh, thought process that sh- that also justifies the removal of uh, girls' breast buds because yeah, can't get breast women, cancer if you yeah, in 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 wow. breast cancer is far more pervasive. Wow. Like one in eight women are at risk. So, so okay, so then this comes to the next question, mm-hmm. and I would like to circle back to this too. Um, yeah. You mentioned earlier that you said there's some mixed studies. I think we mentioned this off of recording. Yeah. There's some mixed studies or there's some mixed types mm-hmm. of studies or feedback about does foreskin prevent or increase STI transmission? Yeah. So like I said, in a lot of ways right now, STIs and specifically like HPV and HIV AIDS are kind of like the current generation's version of syphilis because back Victorian era and then really up till maybe I'll say the first third of the 20th century, mm-hmm. there was a lot there. It was pushed as a preventative for syphilis. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that's, you know, bananas today. Mm-hmm. Um, but if so HIV is really like the primary one that kind of gets cited a lot that, you know, it's why, you know, the Gates Foundation is like funding all these circumcisions in Africa. But if you really delve into these studies that, uh, came out of so they always cite like this this series of african studies uh that were done i believe in the 80s mm-hmm. uh there the methodology is it has a lot of problems and um i can point to like a, a numerous number of, uh, of studies that have kind of analyzed them so like one in one instance a lot of times the trials were ended very very or they were ended early mm-hmm. and then another example uh the the start time of the study was done so like time equals zero was when the circumcised men were circumcised and the end of the study you see oh circumcised men now have a lower uh, uh transmission rate of hiv but you have to keep in mind that for like six weeks or the, or the intact man had like a six week lead time yeah that doesn't sound like men. a reliable study at all right um there's there's all sorts of uh, there's a lot of other issues uh like cherry picking data and things like that and then with hpv that's kind of another thing it's uh a lot of uh, the, uh robert van howe he's a physician uh at the university of michigan uh and he's also got like a master's in statistics or biostats and he's published a ton of medical or, or meta-analyses on uh, circumcision and any sort of health benefits. And a lot of times like the, the data just really does not bear a lot of that out. Hmm. And HPV is one of them. And then on, on top of that, there are effective HPV vaccines right now. It, it doesn't make yeah. any sense to remove a whole part of the body that that's, uh, right. serves, you know, function, uh, when you have a much more, uh, conservative therapy available. Yeah. And then on top of that, the other thing is, uh, uh condoms condoms are incredibly effective condoms are a thing uh, we can use condoms yeah <laughs> yeah and uh, kind of oh and kind of circle back to the hiv thing and this is something i just kind of realized the other day uh for a piece i'm writing um when hiv really kind of came about as far as the developed world goes the united states was hit particularly bad in the 1980s and 1990s thanks president reagan that's part of it. But if circumcision really reduced the transmissibility of HIV, oh. why right? Why did that not seem to help at all if you compare it to like said other developed countries? Um like so there's and then right now, uh uh we have kind of an explosion of of uh sexually transmitted diseases right now in the United States yes. anyway. Yeah, we do. 
yeah, the um, last few years. Um, circumcision does not seem to be helping. No. And... <laughs> yeah, no, that's the least of our worries. Real quick listener question. My 17-year-old recently became self-conscious because he wasn't circumcised. I didn't know what to say. I'm going to answer this real quick, and then, Eric, I'd love to hear from you. Okay. Um, at 17, I was self-conscious about all kinds of things. Uh, give it time. Let the child investigate if they want to consider altering their body permanently because we want to respect autonomy, but they need to have access to all of the information. And if the desire to be circumcised is coming from your current peers situation, just keep in mind that that could certainly change because wouldn't it suck to be an 18 year old that removes your foreskin? And then when you're 30, all these women on Instagram are like, I love foreskin. (laughs) That's what I think as a parent. (laughs) Um, I agree. I agree a hundred percent with that. Um, cause being, everybody remembers, you know, being a teenager and it sucks. And yeah, sucks I, I, and, and I, I, I don't know. I can't say the same for everybody else. But I remember when I was 17, my worldview was jacked. Little, little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, if I could go back in time, I would have a lot of things to say to my 17 year old self. Same. Um, that said, um, Having the having, like I said, I I, I almost encourage uh, him to look into uh, kind of the, like I said the ancient aesthetics like the Greeks and Romans had for it and kind of the value they placed on it. And then um, just because I'm kind of a history nut, and then I, I find that fascinating. But then also, um, it, I'm assuming this you know uh, this person and their and their child are in the United States. Uh, like I said, ninety percent of the world's men are intact. So, being in you know not being circumcised is really the majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, it might not be the majority position in the United States. It might be pretty close. Cause I think overall it's about a fifty percent. It mm-hmm. might be a little more. Um, but uh, like I said, there's all sorts of like sexual uh, pleasure and function that the foreskin has. That if you remove it, you suddenly you know you. Mm-hmm. don't have that you know or un- unable to have that experience now mm-hmm. uh but then also and, and this is not to i'm not trying to be like oh you know be grateful what you have but keep in mind that there's thousands of men in the world right now there might be more than that that wish they had their foreskin yeah yes so yeah i've heard from those folks too yep the uh organization uh doctors opposing circumcision um i think they estimate a about a hundred thousand men in North America are uh, have either finished or are currently restoring their foreskin, and then at Forgen we have uh, like six thousand plus men uh, who are signed up for our human clinical trials. Wow! So you said so, you were getting some trans women support too that were interested. Yes, yeah, we've got a handful of uh, trans women that are are uh, interested. I mean, for a variety of reasons, ones that they're you know they're they're content with. Uh, the anatomy that they were born with. Um, and then there are, uh, there's one that I spoke to a year or two ago and I, I'm personally curious how this would like kind of, you know, work out, uh, would be to, uh, cause I don't know enough about the, uh, surgical transition, uh, and how you know the, right. the details of that yeah, me neither. and then how how having a foreskin versus not having it you know, affects uh, that yeah this was like uh the the surgical uh uh 
Oh, like gender affirming treatment. Oh, or, yeah. so having like a reconstructive genital surgery yes. from a penis. Yes. Yeah. Ma- oh. Yes. Yeah. Because I don't know really enough about that. I don't know anything how, about you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe she was interested in like getting uh, the regenerative therapy and then transitioning from that. Hmm. Um, so that that'd be just kind of a very interesting case study. Hmm. Yeah, I want to hear uh, from all the people. Email us. They talk sex at playconmail.com. <laughs> um, okay, let's take another quick break. Okay. Hey there. Do you want to help people and make money doing it? Becoming a coach might be your ticket. The coaching industry is currently filled with a lot of straight white coaches and working with straight white people who have the privilege to hire them. The coaching guild is changing that. The Coaching Guild is looking for diverse people with diverse experiences and backgrounds who want to get university-level training to become a coach. This is not a shortcut certification program. This is intense training for the real world. They are looking for the artists, the rebels, and the wild ones. You can change the world one client at a time and make money doing it. Visit www.thecoachingguild.com. Do you have a sensitive vulva or vagina? Me too. People with vaginas will experience at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, and many folks like myself get them every time the seasons change. As someone who relies on their vaginal health for their personal and professional wellness, I use Momotaro Apotheca solutions for preventing bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection. Their products also serve urinary tract infections, postpartum care issues, aftercare, and general irritation from sex, clothing, and exercise. I love these things. I use them to shorten my healing time or prevent irritation. Use Stripper Writer for a discount code and check out their affiliated CBD products at oshihana.com. That's momotaroapotheca.com and oshihana.com. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. I am your host, L. Stanger. Find me on lstanger.com, Twitter at L. Stanger. I am speaking with Eric Cunningham. You work at Foragen. You can contact Eric, E-J, at foragen.org. It's F-O-R-E-G-E-N. So we're talking all about circumcision, mostly penises. Uh, what are some resources that have been helpful for your learning or anything you would recommend? So, uh, I got a handful of ones. Um, so first off, uh, kind of, I want to recommend, so those who really haven't kind of given any thought or really haven't delved into, uh, to the topic as a whole, really the, the best starting place in my opinion would be Brendan Moroda's documentary American Circumcision. I believe it's on Netflix. You can find it online. It's on all sorts of platforms. Uh, it's really one of the absolute best documentaries on the topic of circumcision, specific or specifically of of children. Wow. Um, it, it's fantastic film. Uh, but then also so online resources, uh, the organization Doctors Opposing Circumcision for uh, specifically like medical stuff. Uh, they have uh, segments for both uh, physicians and parents uh, and their information and their little uh, kind of documents that they have together are really one of the absolute best uh, uh, cited, most comprehensive documents regarding uh, 
anything medical. Hmm. Uh, then uh, Attorneys for the Rights of the Child, it's a legal group. They uh, you know, specialize in you know, legal battles and things like that. Uh, their newsletter is actually one of the uh, best uh, sources to kind of cover any sort of like current events around the world, uh, kind of either human rights or uh, legal or legislative uh, that regards to not just circumcision, but just genital cutting as a whole. Hmm. <laughs> whole. Sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> but not intended. Um, I see SERP.org, Circumcision yes. Information and Resource Pages, and their Yeah, that was actually, yeah, that was actually the next one I was going to be um, Great. Uh, uh, citing. Yep. So, yep, SERP, or the Circumcision Information and Resources, or Resource page, Pages, it's kind of a big database of um, uh, just articles. They, they've got kind of broken up by different topics. Uh, it's they're, they're, it's a quite the rabbit hole. They have all sorts of stuff. One thing that they do have that's really good is they have a lot of documents that I can't seem to find anywhere else. Uh, a lot of uh, older papers from like the 50s and 60s, uh, very specific like magazine articles. Um, like I said, I can't seem to find these anywhere else. Hmm. Uh, the one downside to them is uh, uh, they're a little bit outdated. Uh, I think some of the more recent or the most recent stuff they have published is like from 2013. Okay. Um, but it's a... Overall, it's a, it's a very good resource, though, uh, if you're looking for, like, actual literature. Okay. No, that's uh, great. And, yeah. And then the last thing I would kind of mention would be uh, there's these series of books, and I wish there was, like, a name to the series, uh, put out by uh, George Denniston, Frederick Hodges, and Marilyn Milos. Uh, the three of them are kind of uh, big-name academic type figures within the uh, intactivist community. So intactivism is, like, the... Mm -hmm the kind of play on the word activism mm -hmm. uh, In, basically that yeah. they yeah activism for uh, uh no genital circumcision. cutting yeah yes yeah uh and they have the series of uh what is it one two three four five six seven or eight books mm -hmm. uh all published by springer um i can kind of give you the names of those uh like separately because they're like oh like yeah sexual yeah <laughs> and some of those also have very long, long names. titles um, yeah you've been a wealth of yeah. information already uh yeah they but they um i think their first one was in 1997 their last one was in 2013 okay. it's uh they're just a collection of essays and articles uh that span the entire topic you got uh medical stuff you've got uh surveys you've got uh, interesting case studies wow. uh you've got uh input from uh, uh, from theologians. So you've got a, a, a good handful of ones from like, they're either Muslim scholars or Jewish scholars and their approach to kind of like uh, the, you know, cir circumcision of children or just circumcision as a whole and how it really relates to, you know, modern day Judaism or Islam. Uh, it's really a whole, whole wealth of Sounds information. Very extensive. Books. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm looking at just an article. I, I looked up the word foreskin like a week ago, and this was a relevant, this was a May 26th article on InsideHook.com. Uh, why circumcised men are undergoing foreskin restoration. Mm -hmm. So this is a real, this is a very real thing, obviously. Yeah, like I said uh, earlier, uh, earlier, uh, like foreskin restoration, it is an ancient practice. Like I said, yeah, goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks and Romans. Uh, like in part with their aesthetics, not just to you know uh, reconstruct the foreskin, they also had like this aesthetic uh, appeal to uh, very long foreskins. So they a lot of times men would 
intentionally, you know, uh, mm. stretch out their foreskins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see that in a lot of their art. Uh, for instance, the Greek god uh, Priapus, he's a, like, I believe, a child of Dionysus and Aphrodite and, uh, amongst all their <laughs> children. Um, he's like, he, I know he's like a fertility, or I think a male fertility god. He's got other roles too, but he um, uh, is usually uh, depicted with like a almost comically large penis oh how funny um there's a there's a really cool uh uh fresco in pompeii actually of him and he's like weighing his like massive penis against like uh like a bag of coins but uh like I say, it's it's almost comical just proportion wise uh but he he's always depicted or not always but he, uh, at least in this one anyway but he's depicted with like a very long foreskin that's hilarious the bigger the foreskin yeah. the closer to god yeah the so, gods yeah that's so like I said, it, the, the practice of restoration, it is not new. There's instances all throughout history. Uh, it, it's been a very, maybe Americans are just ignorant about it, mm-hmm. but it has been a, 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 a really important kind of part of the body for humans, weirdly enough. And if you, even if you compare it to do like an evolutionary uh, analysis, uh, like all almost every animal seems to have some sort of like uh, structure that kind of like houses the, the penis, even like reptiles, they don't have like a true penis or it's like a, uh, what do you call it? Hemipens. Um, <laughs> they, they, they're, they're like kept inside the body. Mm-hmm. And then during copulation they're you know, they, uh, they come out mm-hmm. and then all mammals, all, I'll say all mammals, except for, um, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the, the, the genus, basically platypuses. <laughs> um, uh, all mammals have a prepuce. Hmm. Not all have a foreskin, but they all have some sort of like sheath that the penis is housed inside of. Yeah, my dog popped a boner yesterday. Mm-hmm. He's like <laughs> twelve years old, and I was like, "Wow, really? Just sitting yep. there, eh?" Yeah, but it comes out, and there's you're right. There's no foreskin, but it's in or out. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But then even comparing against primates, uh, there's a really interesting. Uh, uh, essay uh in in actually one of those books that i mentioned uh, that's uh springer published Mm -hmm. uh where i believe it was mcgrath and cold uh did kind of like an evolutionary analysis where they kind of compare the human foreskin versus the prep use i'll say because it's not it's not quite the same as Mm -hmm. what humans have Mm -hmm. uh, of like uh of other primates and kind of their their analysis really shows like the human foreskin is actually uh very specialized and very developed in comparison. Mm-hmm. Sophisticated. Yeah, I that's a good say. way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good way of putting it because it's like the the way it's structured, the mechanical function it seems to have, mm-hmm. the the innervation it has, the strength like, and the delicateness. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's an incredibly fascinating part of the body when you really kind of like consider all the kind of you know, functions it it has, especially like an intercourse. Mm -hmm. So we are about to wrap up and I ask this of all my guests. Do you Mm -hmm. have any sex tips for our audience? Um, I would just say, I guess hygiene is important. Um, (laughs) thank you. Cause, 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 uh, well, a lot of the, the, the pathologies that, you know, uh, the foreskin is always kind of demonized for a lot of those can be prevented through hygiene. Mm -hmm. So, so, so take, so, so wash your dicks people. (laughs) That is a great Uh, sex tip. But then also safe sex. Yep. (laughs) I would say safe sex, condoms, 
you know, HPV vaccine, things like that. Those are absolutely effective. And then because it doesn't seem to get kind of said enough consent because I love that. I can, I can, (laughs) I hear the groan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's so that's nice. That's really about all I have. No, this is all wonderful advice. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Eric Cunningham and myself, Elle Stanger. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I uh, hope to have you back sometime. You can contact Eric EJ at foragin.org and find me on stripperwriter.com. Until next time. Cool. <laughs> <laughs>